Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today. We are starting a brand new series on the apostolic exhortation of St. John Paul II. It's entitled, The Role of the Christian Family in the Modern World. And this November is the 40th anniversary of this apostolic exhortation. I consider it one of the most important things to come out of the Vatican in the 20th century, and one of the reasons why this had a very direct impact on my life. In fact, there's a couple of anniversaries uh, going on during the month of November. In 1991, I very surprisingly had an opportunity to meet the author of The Role of the Christian Family in the Modern World, John Paul II, and hear his statement on how to bring the modern world back to God. And I'll be telling you about that in a moment. And then also, and that was 30 years ago, one year after that trip to meet the author of this apostolic exhortation that changed my life, one year later, in November of 1992, the Family Life Center was born 29 years ago, and hence Faith and Family Radio is a major outreach of the Family Life Center, and basically it's all coming back to the role of the Christian family in a modern world by St. John Paul II. Today I want to do two things together in a sense that I think there's a unique perspective that I would like to bring on the value of John Paul II's work, but a lot of that testimony that I like to bring is a result of my Protestant life uh, as an evangelical Protestant, evangelical Protestant pastor, and I think you'll see that my testimony, I hope, leads to some value in evaluating the usefulness of this 40th anniversary of the role of the Christian family in the modern world. I'd just like to start with one thing I discovered in youth ministry is that marriage is really, really important for youth. What happens in a Christian marriage is going to have a huge impact on Christian youth. And in my life, uh, youth ministry has paid a hundredfold dividends in my life in the sense that it alerted me to see some things that are critically important as well as under incredible attack in the modern world. That's marriage and family life. But how did I get into youth ministry? Well, it happened that the only time that I required to go to personal counseling was several years ago, obviously. I had just gotten out of the Navy. I had been a college dropout. I dropped out of the middle of my college career. Afterwards, I went to a Christian college in Southern California, and I was really nervous about going to this college because this was a Christian college, and there were a lot of pastor's kids and people studying theology 
And I had a pretty significant inferiority complex going to this college because just, well, I better just say it, uh, at the University of Florida, on purpose, I joined the wildest fraternity on campus. Um, and even making matters worse, my friend and I were the social directors of this fraternity. And as a result of our parties, the entire fraternity was shut down by the University of Florida. Then I went to Navy, and that was even crazier. So here I am, a 20-year-old pagan, recently converted to Christianity, coming to a place that I regarded as kind of a, I guess, how a Catholic would regard a monastery. How in the world am I going to fit into this situation? And little did I know about such things as pastors' kids very often tend to go the opposite way of their parents and this and that. So anyhow, after I think it was my first or second night studying in the library, went over to pray in the chapel, and lo and behold, I found out that the uh, chapel with the lights out and whatever was the whole makeout room for the college. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? And everybody running off to cheap movies and doing a lot of other things, and Catholic kids do this too, so don't be shocked. So any case, I went for counseling. And there was a young pastor who had actually graduated from my college at the church I was going to. And I told him, I said, I just think I made a huge mistake because uh, I thought I was going to this, you know, very strict, uh, very holy, very dedicated Christian college. And, you know, I was just thrown for a curveball. And the uh, pastor just simply said to me, Steve, my advice to you is to follow Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. And that was the end of counseling. And then before I left, he said, and Steve, how would you like to become an assistant for our church's children's ministry and junior high school ministry? I had no plans of that. And he described he was going up to the Los Angeles area to pastor a new church, which became a gigantic mega church. But he asked me to uh, fill in. I eventually took over this whole children's and youth ministry. But what I got out of that was that even children could be greatly disturbed, um, classified as troublemakers or whatever else. But a lot of it went right back to the home and have mom and dad managed to stay together. You know, there was no lifelong desire to study marriage and family life or anything like that. It's just that I knew the kids needed this. So as a single man, there was this large marriage seminar going on in this mega church that I was attending. And I was the only single person there because I felt it's really important to start figuring out what Christian marriage is all about because this seems to be the key for young people. And little did I know I had stumbled on something as old as the Old Testament. The book of Malachi, God is pretty ripped because men were leaving their, live, uh, their wives and abandoning them, divorcing them. And it says, God asks, what does God desire? In other words, why was God upset with this widespread divorce and the Old Testament going on? Why? He goes, he desires godly offspring. It's the kids take it. And so I was on a road to 
pay a lot of attention to marriage. So I went back to Florida after graduation and through some open doors in youth ministry, it eventually led to my being ordained as a Protestant pastor. Now, as a young pastor, I made a gigantic error, and it was a moral blunder to the nth degree, and it was this. This congregation, it was kind of one of these independent charismatic congregations, was rather unique in that it was founded by a number of Mennonite Christians who had experienced a renewal experience and formed this congregation, which then morphed into more your generic independent congregation. But the elder group that directed the church was split on the approach to allowing remarriage after divorce. And those of the Mennonite background were quite strong in resisting this, and there were two uh, ordained pastors who were for allowing it. And since I was naively following what I had been taught by experts, and even experts in Greek, I had by this time managed to do a fairly decent job in mastering New Testament Greek, but even that by itself, I had been led astray by the experts. So I joined and formed a majority to vote to allow remarriage after divorce of Christians, remarrying after divorce. Now, I had never heard of Leo XIII. I never heard of his encyclical on Christian marriage, but he said back in the 1800s, he says, divorce once being tolerated, there will be no restraint powerful enough to keep it within the bounds marked out. You think it'll just have a little effect, but it'll have an overwhelming effect. And I went back to this congregation uh, right around its 10th anniversary. And as the pastor was putting pictures from 10 years previous on the bulletin board, he said, Steve, I'm having a hard time finding group pictures from 10 years ago because there's been so many divorces in the congregation since then that I can't find a group picture where a divorce hasn't struck. In other words, we just had a, a, a very minimal exceptions that I personally voted for incorrectly that allowed this breakup of innumerable, innumerable families. And so one of the purposes of this broadcast is to try to reverse the error that, that I certainly did. Now, I started doing something, though, that I would strongly recommend that any happy Protestant pastor not do, um, and that is I started reading the early church fathers. I started just flipping around, reading different ones, and the more I read, the more I appreciated these men. I particularly studied baptism because I had just become a father, and what do you do with children? And basically, since my conversion. I was baptized as a child in a Presbyterian church, but I assumed that you needed to be believers-only baptism, so I studied that topic in the Fathers, and wouldn't you know, they come out just the way the Catholic Church does. I also studied biblical prophecy because I was fed up with a lot of the Looney Tunes type of prophecy that was going around, and I wanted to see what the early church fathers said about that. 
and then I studied marriage. And I found out that the church fathers were exceedingly clear that Jesus commands about no remarriage after uh, a divorce from a valid marriage. His words were exceedingly clear. Jesus said in Luke 16, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Why? Because the bond from a valid marriage still remains. There is a pretty important book that I had gotten hold of and, uh, and shared with the uh, elders at this time. It was my evangelical Presbyterian denomination. Basically started looking into Presbyterianism and covenant theology because I figured out I was supposed to baptize my daughter. Well, this book was on Jesus and divorce, and basically it summarized in very clear fashion the teachings of the Christian church for the first 1,000 years. There wasn't a whole lot of question about marriage being indissoluble. Christians aren't to divorce and remarry. And so we took an unusual step in the Presbyterian church. The group of elders is called the session or session called this author in England, uh, long distance, back when, I don't know what it cost to call England today, but back then it was rather expensive. We got this author on the phone. We went over the data. Yes, indeed, uh, the early church without question believed in the indissolubility of marriage. And then we asked him, well, how does this apply in today's world? He didn't have an answer. And not too long after that, I was preaching a sermon in the book of Hosea, and Hosea's marriage had tanked, basically. He, Hosea was a good prophet, but God was showing that marriage reflected the divine covenant because marriage is a covenant. And Hosea's unfaithful wife committing adultery was like a sign of Israel committing apostasy. And I thought I got through and that sermon pretty well, given my growing beliefs that I had made huge mistakes as a pastor and in my beliefs about marriage and that I was aligning myself with the early church. But I got through Hosea's sermon okay, and I sat down for the offertory as one of those deals, the five uh, most intense minutes of your life. And basically, I sense rather strongly that God was telling me, you're not going to do this. You're not having communion in a setting where people are no longer um, in proper communion with their spouses, and some of these people weren't as a result of my bad counsel. I'm not trying to throw stones here except at myself because this grew up, and so I didn't know what to do, and I simply came to the communion table I said to my congregation, I said, I apologize, but I'm not prepared to administer communion today. And I pronounced a benediction and proceeded out the sanctuary, followed by my elders. And we met in my study, and uh, they said, what's up? And I told them that I believed in the indissolubility of marriage and that communion has to have the marriage covenant squared away in order to celebrate the communion in the divine covenant. That's what communion 
Protestants call their Lord's Supper is all about. And these guys were my friends, but they said, well, you know, you're done here. And I said, I realize that. Actually, I realized that even more because what do you do with a Protestant pastor who can't have communion and who believes about marriage different than about 99% of the other Protestant, not only the Presbyterians, but almost everybody I knew of. And uh, then Karen came in after my elders left and in tears, absolute tears, I told her, I said, uh, not only am I done here, I said, no one is ever going to want to hear what I have to say about marriage. I'm done. And uh, it was very lonely at that point because I was not a Catholic and I was not a Protestant, but I was a man, an ordained minister in no man's land ecclesiastically. And that all happened in October of 1989, and just out of an act of kind of desperation, I thought to myself, well, I wonder what the Catholics believe about this stuff. And I pulled off my bookshelf, something I never read, The Role of the Christian Family in the Modern World by John Paul II. And in sections 82 and 83, he spoke of the great charity and kindness and pastoral support for those who have gone through a divorce. It was totally and entirely uh, charitable and Christian in its approach to the divorce. But then he came to section 84, which opened my eyes to the Catholic Church. He said, the church reaffirms her practice, which is based on sacred scripture, of not admitting to the Eucharistic communion divorced persons who have remarried. They are unable to be admitted thereto from the fact that their state and condition of life objectively contradict that union of love between Christ and the church, which is signified and affected by the Eucharist. Besides this, there is another special pastoral reason. If these people were admitted to the Eucharist, the faithful would be led into error and confusion regarding the church's teaching about the indissolubility of marriage. Well, after reading that, two years and three weeks later, I had the opportunity and a very, very surprising, shocking opportunity uh, to meet the author of The Role of the Christian Family in the Modern World at the first pro-life summit in the Vatican, sponsored by the Pontifical Council for the Family. And in that meeting, John Paul II made it very clear that the family is the means to bring the modern world back to God. And the way to bring the modern world back to God is to present marriage and family life, these are my terms, on the rock. In other words, something that will last while the modern world Marriage and family life has nowhere to stand, and even though these things might sound difficult and to the untrained ear might even sound harsh, and John Paul II certainly wasn't harsh, this is where the future of the family will be. And as a result of that, I believed I got my life's marching orders <laughs> unless God directly intervenes. Uh, a year later, I, I went home, and uh, for the year I considered starting the Family Life Center. 
I had been a mission pastor in the Presbyterian Church. I was a pastor of a brand new congregation that you know started meeting in a little place and had its first building project and all that. And that step is very difficult. And I knew starting an apostle it would be, but this is this is what I I launched now. I know what a lot of you are thinking, having just read section 84 of the role of the Christian family in the modern world, because reading this, you see, I didn't have to spend a whole lot of time on Matthew 16 or the papacy, because I knew what it was like. I mean, I really knew what it was like to stand up in front of my congregation, it's a relatively small congregation, and say I stood for what Jesus taught about marriage, okay? But John Paul II stood up in front of the world and did the same thing. And I thought to myself, well, this, this, is, this is an incredible amount of courage. And I thought, well, it might even be something more than courage. It might be something to do with Matthew 16 and being a rock that the role of St. Peter, the Pope, would be something that the church would be indestructible. And if marriage and family built itself upon that rock, it would be indestructible. So really, marriage and family and the papacy, and if there's a papacy, there's such a thing called the Catholic Church. And I was on my way to becoming a Catholic as a result of reading Section 84 of the role of the Christian family in a modern world. Now, a lot of you are thinking, well, hasn't this recent apostolic exhortation, Amoris Laetitia, kind of overturned the uh, teachings of John Paul II you mentioned? Well, they are different. It was, even though it's in a footnote, many are assuming that what John Paul II said was kind of outdated, but it wasn't just what John Paul II said. The reason it had such an impact on my life was a result of having studied the New Testament plus all of the early church fathers for the first millennium of the of the church were squared away on this. So you just can't say uh, it's overturned, even though many are accepting this new way of kind of making it easy for remarriage after a divorce from a valid marriage. Now, I am going to critique in a bold way the Amoris Laetitia. Now, I'm not critiquing it based upon my PhD research because I don't have a PhD. I'm not basing it upon my extensive knowledge of Catholic history and theology. There's many that have a greater experience than I do in that. I'm basing my critique on my knowledge and experience of having been a Protestant. You see, I've literally lived through mainline Protestantism and evangelical Protestantism who dropped the ball regarding Christ's teaching on the indecidability of marriage. And beyond that, I personally have dropped the ball and seen the result. And so I can speak from a sense of experience, not just from books, but I've read a lot of books on it, but but having lived through this, I can just boil this down a real simple way. There's two ways Christians can try to assist families in the modern world. Note carefully the title, The Role of the Christian Family in the Modern World. This is the rub. Now, 
there's a lot of folks, I call it the Anglican way because the Anglicans or Episcopalians are probably the most at fault at this, but basically all the mainline Protestant denominations are at fault with this. And unfortunately, even the evangelicals in large measure are at fault at this. It's accommodating to culture and conforming morality to culture, making a broad way and an easy way. And this is applied to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. It's the mainline way. The other way is what I call the John Paul II way. It's countercultural. And what he did, he stood up as the rock and proclaimed truth. And I've devoted the rest of my adult life to promoting this teaching of his because I'm convinced that only here will marriage and family life survive. I mean, people, young people, are scared to death to even enter a marriage after they've seen what their parents and grandparents have done to the marriage culture in the United States and throughout the world. So I'm just an ecclesiastical pipsqueak. I don't have any major voice in a Catholic church. I don't have any big ecclesiastical connections. But I can speak with rock-solid certainty that the attempt to be charitable and to aid marriages by conforming to culture is a monumental mistake that I myself have made. And my urge is to do what I did. Admit your mistake. Admit it. And then I changed and became Catholic. And I urge the Catholic Church in 2021 not to follow the losing mainline Protestant path to decline and decay. These churches that are accommodating to culture are just dying on the vine. The stakes are so high because the path you follow regarding marriage and family life is so critical. As St. John Paul II said in section 75 of the role of the Christian family in the modern world, the future of the world and of the church passes through the family. The stakes here couldn't be higher. And I urge the church in our day to give careful heed to the way we follow, the mainline way or the John Paul II way. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 361 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to learn more about Catholic family life.